are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. John 16, 25 through 33. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you and that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, I was going to say for our guests, and I realized, wait a minute, for me, you're all my guests. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here at RGC, and uh, we're just so excited about this opportunity that we have to join our churches together, uh, our leadership team, our members. We're really just, we can't... We just can't wait to get this going. Uh, it's going to be so exciting to see how God wants to unite our two churches together so that we can do more together for the kingdom of God than maybe what we could have done on our own. And as we begin our time here, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is living and active, and it searches our hearts. It instructs us. It most importantly shows us the way to your son, Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you. And as we sit under your word here this morning or this evening, uh, we pray that you would be with us by your spirit to lead us and guide us, uh, to open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see the things that you want us to see. And so that we would be encouraged by your word to live our lives for the praise of your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing your series in... John's Gospel, and we're at the end of the farewell discourse. And the discourse began back in chapter 13. It says this in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What a wonderful way to start. Uh, an engaging time with your people is to say he's loved them to the end and so I love the way that John starts that but at the end of the letter we hear this from Jesus in verse 33 it says I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world and so Jesus, as we see from the beginning to the end, he is preparing his disciples. He's preparing them for his departure, and he's letting them know, listen, this is not going to be a cakewalk. It's not like, well, you were just with me, and everything sort of went okay, but he's leaving, and he's going to say, now what's going to happen? And he knew that that was sort of on their hearts, and they were kind of wondering, like, 
how's this really going to go? And they, they had this big fundamental problem that they didn't fully understand everything that Jesus was talking about. And so Jesus is trying to comfort them. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to equip them for the times that are going to be hard, for the times that they're going to need to suffer. And so he's giving them words of encouragement. And so I have a question for you. When, when life gets hard, when things get difficult for you, how peaceful are you? And, and I think a lot of times, like, we can go in either extreme when stuff gets hard in our lives. We can either get sort of manic and frantic and try to take control of everything and as if everything depended on us. Or sometimes in a negative way, we can sort of become fatalistic and just think, well, it's just sovereignty of God. I guess that's all that's going to happen. And so I think a lot of times we push either one of these extremes. But, but I think we're seeing in God's word is that there's a peace that, that the Lord wants us to have in the midst of our trials that he's trying to explain to his disciples how they're going to get that peace. And so if you struggle with worry or anxiety or a lack of peace, I trust that these words from scripture are going to be comforting for you here this afternoon. I had a conversation with one of our members recently and she's going through a lot of stuff. It's just She's a young mom, and she's just got life happening in several different directions, in her own home, in extended family, with friendships, with you name it. I mean, it's coming from every different side. And she, she came up to me the other day, and she goes, Vince, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really struggling. And, like, I feel like I'm just losing my peace, and I, I'm losing my bearings. And she asked me this question, and she goes, does it ever get any easier? And so I answered her, no and yes. And she looked at me, sort of like how you're looking at me, like, what kind of answer is that? And I said, well, listen, externally, there's actually no guarantee that these circumstances here that you're experiencing are actually ever going to change. They might. God might give you relief in some of these different areas, but he might not. And so in one sense, no, it doesn't get easier, quote unquote, because we don't control what happens to us and what happens in the world that we live in. Uh, we have a part to play in what we're responsible for, but there's a lot of life that happens to us, doesn't it? Right? So then she's looking at me going, well, this isn't really the encouragement that I was hoping for. Um, but I said, but it, it does get better. There is more peace to be had, but it's that internal peace. It's that spiritual peace. It's the peace of having Christ abide in us and us abiding in Him. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's something that as we abide in Christ, we grow in and we develop in. And in a supernatural way, it starts to change the way that we think about our circumstances so that we're not driven by worry and anxiety and fear about things that we can't control, but rather we rest in the things that we know to be true about God and the spirit that resides in us. And this gives us hope, and it gives us comfort, and it gives us God's peace. And I think that's what Jesus is after with these guys. He's trying to tell them, look, there's a peace that you're gonna need to have, but you're only gonna get it in me. World's not gonna give it to you. You're gonna get a lot of tribulation in the world, but you're gonna get peace if you are with me. And so as I explained this to her, she looked at it and she goes, okay, well, we're going to have to keep talking about this. And I said, well, that's great, you know, because that's part of the Christian life together, right? We walk these things out. I'm quite a bit older than she is. I've seen a lot of life, but I've also seen how God's word is true and how we apply these things to our lives. 
we can actually have more peace even though the things around us might not get any better and then sometimes or some situations it gets even worse and yet our peace does not have to be affected by our circumstances because our peace is rooted in Christ so the main point of today's message is that Jesus has overcome the world so that we may have peace and then I put in my notes dot 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 no matter what like there's there's nothing that's not covered by this. There's not anything that's not covered by this. Everything that's going on in your life, right, it has an effect on you, but it doesn't have to affect your peace because your peace comes from something else. Your peace comes from Christ. So Jesus has overcome the world so that we may have peace. And I love it that he says in verse 33, he says, take heart, take heart. I've overcome the world, right? And his call is for us to abide in him. So I want us to look at three things, and I'm just going to walk through the text here this afternoon. Three things that I think are really helpful to understand about having peace. The first is the Father's love. The second is the disciples' faith. And the third is the Savior's victory. So in verses 25 to 27, we see the Father's love on full display. Verse 25 says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And so he's, what things is he saying? Well, that's in reference to everything that he's been talking to them about. It. Um, everything I've been telling you is all being wrapped up here, but I've said them to you in figures of speech. And let's be honest, the stuff that Jesus was talking to them about was, was kind of hard. He was talking about his death, and they didn't really have a category for a suffering servant. They, they wanted a victorious Messiah. So some of that stuff that he was talking about was hard for them to understand. He was going to be going away and going back to the Father, and that was a bit perplexing. Like, I thought you were here to save us, but you're going away, but you're saying that's actually good because you're going to send the Spirit. And, you know, they just had a lot of stuff rolling around in their heads. He talks a lot about his relationship with the Father and about our relationship with the Father. And the disciples didn't fully get it. And you might ask yourself, well, why didn't they get it? They spent all this time with him. You know, like, are they just slow? Like... Are they unique? And I'd say, no, they're actually just like us. First of all, they were immature. They hadn't been with Jesus that long. And just like many of us that have walked with the Lord, you're still learning, you're still growing. And I look back at when I first got saved when I was 25, I was like, man, what I know now about God is like light years from what I knew when I first got saved. Because that's the ongoing work of God. He's, he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. And so we don't get it all at the beginning. And the same thing is true of them. They didn't get everything at the beginning. But more importantly, Jesus, right, he had not gone to the cross yet. So no wonder some of that stuff didn't make sense to them. They're like, we haven't actually seen how this all gets played out. It'll make a lot more sense to them later. But at the time, they didn't fully understand what was happening. And then the third part is that the Spirit had not been poured out. Okay, so there was stuff to come that was going to really help them later on in life. And we certainly see what happens when the Spirit does come. These people who didn't quite get everything a, a few days before, all of a sudden these people are on fire and they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These people are willing to die for this faith. And yet they weren't quite at that spot yet. They still needed to learn. They still needed things revealed to them. And so Jesus says, the hour is now coming when I will tell you plainly about the Father. And this hour that he's referring to is the hour after his death and his resurrection and exaltation. 
And he's not teaching them anything new per se. He's not referencing like, okay, now I'm going to change the whole game after I leave and, and then I'm exalted. No, I'm, and I'm going to teach you all these different things. No, I'm going to make more clear the things I've already been telling you. So it's not a new teaching or a redefined mission. Actually, he had already been speaking about the Father 46 times. It's referenced in the discourse. And he's going to tell them plainly about the Father, just how they can have this close and abiding relationship with him. Things will get more clear a little bit down the road. And he says, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say, and then he skips over, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Now, asking in Jesus' name, you guys have had that sermon in this series. It's asking in Jesus' name is the basis on which we're able to come to God, isn't it? Right? We come to him, we come to the Father because of the work of the Son. We come because he gains us access to the Father. And so that part made sense. And they're standing with the Father, they understood, would depend on Jesus. But now Jesus says something really interesting. He's not saying that I'll ask the Father on your behalf. And you go, what does that mean? Well, it clearly doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to be the mediator between God and man anymore. But what he's saying is so sweet. He says, listen, the relationship that you're going to now have coming up with the Father isn't like a, a child who needs somebody else to hold their hand and then kind of speak on their behalf to the Father and, you know, listen in and then they relay the message. No, it's saying that, yes, Jesus is still the mediator. He connects us and makes the channel of communication open. But he says, you, you yourself are going to be able to talk to the Father. You're going to have a direct relationship. He's not going to have to ask on your behalf anymore. No, you're going to be able to just to relate to God the Father just as he relates to God the Father. And what a sweet word. That is. It's hopeful news, isn't it? Hopeful to know that they would be able to commune with God the Father. And then he says why in verse 27. He says, for the Father loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. And the Father's love for us is a big deal, isn't it? It's a truth that we must all embrace. And let's be honest, though, that the love of the Father can sometimes be hard for people, can it? I grew up in a situation where growing up, my father and I did not have a good relationship. My father was not a Christian. It was actually a very difficult and at times terrible relationship. And so when I became a Christian, relating to God as Father was a bit perplexing to me. I really liked Jesus. I thought what Jesus did was awesome. I'm like, man, he died across my sins. But I sort of had this bad view of God the Father, like, yeah, that's the mean guy in the Old Testament kind of thing. But yet, when my eyes were open and I understood that God had so much more for me to understand about him, I realized that I didn't need to view God through the faulty lens of my earthly father. I needed to first see what God said is about himself and his word so that I could understand what a true father is. It changed my life, really, in so many ways because Instead of God being this angry, judgmental guy that was always mad at me, which is sort of how my earthly father was, I realized that God loved me. And so we know verses like John 3.16, that God loved us enough to send his only son so that we could be reconciled to him. And God loves us because we love his son. He takes great delight in that.
And so the ground for our relationship with the Father is secured through the work of Christ, but also by our faith. That's how we come and have this relationship with Him. And so you might be sitting there wondering, well, how does this give us peace? Well, I think it gives us the opportunity to know and experience the love of the Father in the midst of our trials. You know, have you ever been out to the beach and you've been in the waves and you've seen a parent with a child and you see the child get hit by a wave and get toppled? And it's pretty scary. And sometimes the kids swallow some water and they're flailing around a little bit and they're, they're really having a hard time and they're anxious and they're worried and they're afraid and their eyes are really big. And then that parent comes and scoops them up and says, you're going to be okay. And that child knows they're going to be okay because they're in the loving arms of their parent. And so knowing the love of the Father is a big deal. We need this to help complete the way that we think about what it looks like to live in God's kingdom, is that we live in a kingdom that has a Father, a Father that loves you and me, a Father that loves us enough to send His Son to die on a cross for our sins, a Father who is never going to leave us or change His mind about us. A Father who one day will wipe every tear away from our eyes as we see Him face to face and live with Him for all eternity. Oh, friends, knowing the love of the Father can bring us great peace when we're in the midst of our own struggles, our own little waves that knock us over, the things that are so hurtful and harmful and scary and sad and all wrapped up in one thing, to know that a loving Father is there watching over you and always there for you at any moment, a father that the spirit who dwells within you says, cry out to this guy, Abba, Father, I need you. To know that you have that relationship secure, friends, that will give you peace. It's not the only thing that's going to give you peace, but that's a big part of it, is knowing the love of the Father for you. Because he loves you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows what you need before you need it. And He's going to secure your presence with Him for all time through the work that He sent Christ to do for you and for me. The Father planned our redemption. Christ procured it. And the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives, doesn't He? So our peace with God is rooted in God's love for us. Secondly, let's look at the disciples' faith. I love this part of the passage here, and I'll tell you why in a second. But in verses 28 to 32, we actually see how these disciples now are responding to Jesus. At the end of this discourse, they're rolling along. Jesus is saying all this stuff, and they're like, okay, all right, here we go. And then in verse 28, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. In other words, they're saying, look, I got it. Jesus summarizes his mission. He's not saying anything necessarily new. He's repeated these other comments. He just, in a very short phrase, sort of gives us the plan of redemption, right? This is Philippians 2, 5 through 11 kind of language, right? Jesus came down, right? But then he's exalted by the Father. But the disciples claim to understand what Jesus is saying about the future with sort of this mentality of, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we're good. But verse 30, it says this, it says, Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Well, there's a couple problems here. Problem number one is, 
they ended up focusing their attention on perhaps the least significant aspect of what Jesus said. And that's basically his ability to anticipate their questions. He knew what they would want to be asking, and they're like, oh, great, we don't, no need to send anybody else to ask you questions. You're already answering all of our questions for us. And they're thinking, okay, aha, we got it, we're good. But it was actually like the most inconsequential part of everything that he's been talking to them about. And we can kind of be that way a little bit with God. You know, we get a little bit of truth and we become dangerous, right? Or we get a little bit of truth and then we just go with it and we just build on it. And it's not that the truth itself is wrong, it's what we do with it. Well, these guys weren't suspect at all. They just said, hey, we, we got this. But the second problem is even bigger. They really were assessing themselves far too highly. Even though they knew some of the right things to say, they actually were not self-aware enough to know what they didn't know. And you've had that situation. If you've been a parent at all and you've had your young child come and tell you some incredible thing that they want to share with you and they base it on a little bit of knowledge and yet they extrapolate and they say all this stuff about it. And you're like, well, it's true, but you're also sitting there scratching and going, they don't know what they don't know, right? Well, this is the moment that Jesus is having with them. And so he says in verse 31, he says, Jesus answers them, he says, do you now believe? Like, you get it now? Like, that's all you need? You just need to know that I came from heaven, I came down to the world, I'm leaving the world, I'm going back to the Like, that's, that's what's really going to get it for you? And their inadequacy is about to be revealed. Jesus needs to adjust their thinking. Look at verse 32. He says, behold, the hour is coming Indeed, it has come. So now he's not talking about what's going to come after his exaltation. Now he's saying, like, here's what's going to happen in the next couple of days. Now he's talking about a different hour, the hour right in front of them. He says, when you will all be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, he says. Scattered, alone. These people are saying, aha, we got it. Like, you know everything. We believe in you. And Jesus is saying, do you really? Do you really get it all? Because actually, just like really in a couple days, like you're going to scatter. You're going to leave me dry. You're going to leave me quick. You're going to leave me. And the only one that's going to be with me is the Father. It's a humbling passage. I see myself so much in these words. this hour at hand in the immediacy of life do I still have these big thoughts of God I think that's what they lost sight of they had a, a faith that they proclaimed but all of a sudden the possibility of persecution and trial and suffering came their way and they scattered and they left Jesus alone and I've, I've had those moments fear of man that sets in when I want to share the gospel or times when I've just had circumstances in my life that seemed overwhelming and all I could do was think about my circumstances and I abandoned my thoughts of God. Friends, I think we can see ourselves in these passages. And so the application is, you might say, well, how does this help us have peace? Well, I think we need to learn from this example to have an ongoing, humble dependence on God. 
You see, they were, they were relying on their minds. They thought they got it. But a relationship with God through Christ is an ongoing relationship. It's not just an intellectual activity. It's an abiding in Him. It's a being uh, in union with Him. He and you and you in Him. And, and let's be honest, in our trials, there's always a lot more going on than we know. Just like there was a lot more going on than the disciples knew. I see this all the time when I go through trials. There's always so many little nuggets that in the moment didn't make sense to me, but later on they do. I, I had a situation recently. I, I, I went to a, a hospital visit with uh, my daughter, one of our daughters, and it said on the piece of paper that there were two of us who were supposed to arrive at the hospital to then take care of our daughter. And so we show up at the hospital and we go inside and the daughter goes in and my wife goes in and I'm about, and I literally just start walking in and I go, and the security guy puts his arm up and says, no, you can't go in. I said, what are you talking about? I can't go in. Like, I literally, I, I'm, uh, I keep records of everything pretty much. So I pulled the piece of paper out and I said, no, actually it says have, have two people come. Like, I'm in. He goes, no, nope, hospital rule is only one, one parent can go in with a child. And so, you know, I'm trying to be a Christian at that moment. I'm going, uh -huh. And this is sort of a big deal. My daughter needs a heart and a liver transplant. So it's not like, oh, okay, you know, she's just going in for a physical or something. Like, this is a big deal. And I want to be there to hear what the doctors are saying. The guy's going, no, you can't go. Friends, that's a trial in that moment. And in my heart, I started to not pass the test. Why? Because I thought I knew that God had orchestrated all this stuff. We had done everything we were supposed to do, and we're following God, and we're trusting God, and so now I'm supposed to get access, and I'm supposed to get in there, and I've got the piece of paper to prove it, except the guard says, you're not getting in. And what I learned in that moment, because I was mad, I was angry in that moment, I was like, you can't do this to me. I, I know the right thing. But in that moment, I could just hear the Spirit just saying, do you love him? Do you love this guy? And I realized, no, I don't, I don't love this guy. He's not giving me what I want. And it was humbling. And I realized that in that moment, if I was going to pass the test, then I needed to find a humble dependence on God in Christ to enable me to love this man and to leave the building without causing a scene. Because I was tempted to. I was tempted to start calling for supervisors and everything else and you know, just make a big scene, but I realized, no, what was more important in that moment was my witness for Christ. And, and if I'm really honest, what was most important was, was I willing to let God be God in that moment and to let go of something that I wasn't going to be able to control. This person was not going to budge. It was not going to go my way. But I needed to be humble, and I needed to depend on God, and God was very kind, and everything went well. But even if it hadn't, I, I knew that there was something more for me in this. And I think for you and I, when we go through these trials and troubles and all these different things, don't be too quick to just to rely on what we know about God. Actually take some time and step back and actually know God. Depend on Him. Ask Him to help you. Ask Him to encourage you. Friends, this is how we have peace. Third, the Savior's victory. Look at verse 33. And this is very encouraging. 
Look what Jesus says to conclude this discourse. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And before I say a couple things about this, just notice the kindness of the Lord. Have you ever had those situations where you sort of just blew it with God or you blew it with some people and you just realized God must be so upset with me? Some relational conflict that you give in on and you sin against people and all that. And, and you kind of feel like you have to stand before the Lord with your tail between your legs like, you know, are you going to just really be disapproving of me? It's never that way with Jesus. Jesus had looked upon those disciples said, look, you guys don't even know what you don't know. You're going to abandon me. You're going to scatter and all that. And, and you would think that Jesus might say, you know, I think I might find another batch of people to be my disciples. But Jesus never gives up on those whom he calls to himself. And so in love and in kindness, he looks upon them and says, in me, you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. Take heart, my flawed little disciples. Take heart, you guys that don't fully understand everything. Take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, the emphasis in our walk with God is not primarily about what we do for God or how we have more faith in God. This is why prosperity gospel and some of these other things are so erroneous because it puts an undue influence on man's responsibility when in fact the Bible teaches us that yes, we are responsible, but there's one who's even greater than our responsibility and that's God himself who is sovereign over all. And Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. This is how the problem is going to get fixed. Not because of you, not by how hard you try, not by what you do to work all this stuff out. No, what's going to happen is I'm going to overcome the world. And that's where you're going to find your peace. And so despite their weakness, Jesus speaks kindly to them, to those who believe in him. And friends, he will speak kindly to you every time you stumble and fall as well because he loves you. He doesn't despise them. He doesn't cast them off. In a few hours, they would be made aware of their unbelief and their cowardice. Can you imagine what it was like for them after the resurrection and the filling of the Holy Spirit for them to imagine how these words must have comforted them? To realize he knew we were going to bail on him. He knew it. But it didn't change his mind about us. He really meant it when he said it, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Oh, friends, this is what starts to bring us real peace. And Jesus wants his followers to have peace. That's what he says, in me, you will have peace. Kind of reminds me of earlier on in the discourse in chapter 15, verse 11, when he tells them that he wants his joy to be in them and that he wants their joy to be full. He's just using different language. Now he wants his joy to be in you. Now you can have his peace. The Prince of Peace says you can have His peace even though you're in a world filled with tribulation, filled with troubles, filled with trials. He said, in me, you can have peace. Just like you can have His joy. In me reminds us of John 15, doesn't it? Where it talks about abide in me, doesn't it? Know Him. Love Him. Obey Him. Humbly depend on him in all your circumstances 
and you will have his peace. There's no other shortcut. There's no other quick way around this. No, our trials, our circumstances, our difficulties, God uses in our lives to draw us to the Son. He says, I want you to live your life before his face. I want you to trust in him every day. I don't want you to worry about tomorrow's troubles. There's enough trouble there. Today, I want you to abide in my son. So when your church leaders or pastors talk to you about, hey, how are you doing at reading God's word? How are you doing in prayer? How are you doing in growing in a relationship with the Lord? It's not because you're just trying to check off some boxes and say, hey, you know, you, you need to do these things to be a Christian. No, they're trying to make it so that you can live your life with the peace of Christ in it. This is the joy that we all need. This is the joy that we all long for. But in our humanity and in our sinfulness, we so quickly forget, don't we? We all walk around with a certain degree of amnesia, don't we? We forget the Father's love. We forget how great He is. We forget the work of Christ on our behalf. And somehow in our feeble thinking, we say, you know what, I got this. We really are just like the disciples. But Jesus is who he said he is. He's the one that has overcome the world and he says you can have peace. And that doesn't mean just the absence of conflict. It means that your whole life with God and everything else in it is harmonious, calm, and peaceful despite all the noise and all the tribulation going on around you because you're in Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to sing this song about it is well with my soul. And I'd encourage you to read about the person who wrote the song. Horatio Spafford, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Look it up sometime. Tragic story. And yet when we sing these words, you're going to realize, wow, this is the truth of how we can have peace in the midst of a storm. So Jesus makes a contrast. In the world, you will have tribulation versus in me you will have peace. So the discourse has come full circle. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, he says in chapter 14. And now Jesus says, I have overcome the world. You know what's kind of neat about this? And I'll close with this. It doesn't say I'm about to overcome the world. Such was the confidence of Christ in that moment when he spoke to his disciples. He said, I have overcome the world. In other words, he's saying, it is a done deal. All the stuff I'm telling you and all the stuff that's going to come to pass, there's no uncertainty about it. Such was his confidence. It's a completed action with present implications. It's a done deal. He will go to the cross. He will obtain our salvation. We will then receive peace with God through faith in him. And friends, on this side of the cross, so those were the disciples. They were looking forward to all this stuff, trying to figure it all out. We know this all to be true. How much more should this not resonate in our hearts to know that this is the Savior of the world, the one who died for you and for me, and he says, in me, you will have peace. So can we have peace in this life? No and yes. No guarantee about what your circumstances are going to be, but there's absolutely no uncertainty about where you can find your peace, and that is in the rock Jesus Christ, our only hope, the Savior of the world. So we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper now. So if you have the elements with you, and it really is a blessing.
to take the Lord's Supper together as the people of God. And, and even as you're preparing the elements, just thinking about, you know, it's the Father's love that even has us here, that he would send Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And if you're here tonight or watching online, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we just want to say thank you so much for coming. Thanks for being with us here today. And we'd ask that you not partake of the elements right now. This is something that we do as followers of Christ in remembrance of what he's done for us. But we would urge you to think about what you've heard here tonight or talk to a friend about who this Jesus is because we want his peace to be your peace too. And as we take of these elements, let us be reminded that it is in and through the blood of Christ that we have peace with God. Verse 33 said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Jesus said to his disciples to partake of these elements in remembrance of him in what he did for us. As we take the bread, let us remember his body broken for us. And as we take the cup, let us remember the great cost, his blood spilled and poured out for us so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to God, and so that his peace could become our peace. Let me pray, and then you can partake. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can be together. We thank you for your great love for us that you demonstrate in the sending of your son who died on a cross for our sins. And we are a grateful people, and as we partake of these elements, we do remember the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled, and we are eternally grateful. Bless this time now for us as we do this in remembrance of him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.